United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Ahead of a meeting with the Prime Minister of Israel last week, President Donald Trump expressed condolences over a deadly rocket attack that took place over Israel. The despicable attack this morning demonstrates the significant security challenges that Israel faces every single day. And today I am taking historic action to promote Israel's ability to defend itself and really to have a very powerful, very strong national security, which they're entitled to have. One of the things that uh, obviously was a big part of this is the United States recognizing Gaza as sovereign territory of Israel. And we just passed the anniversary, the 40th anniversary of the Israel-Egypt peace accords. Let's put it all together in the context of the upcoming Israeli elections. Lucy Kurtzer Ellenbogen, director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the USIP, United States Institute of Peace, is with us at USIP is the Twitter handle. Lucy, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Good morning. Thank you, Tim. Talk first of all about the United States' recognition of Gaza. Practically, it didn't really seem to mean that much. There was more symbolism, but talk about how important it was. Uh, Sure. Well, uh, first of all, what the United States recognized was Israeli sovereignty over the Golan um, at the border with Syria. I'm sorry, Golan Heights. I misspoke, yes. Um, um, But, you know, the clip you played of President Trump, he was referring at first to a rocket that had come over from Gaza uh, in the south, uh, injuring seven members of the family in central Israel. So what he was trying to do there um, is tie this concept of Israel's grave and real security concerns to what he was about to announce um, on the Golan. The interesting thing, as you note, about the Golan decision is, in practical terms, it doesn't actually change anything because Israel has had full security control over the Golan essentially since uh, since it acquired it uh, in the 1967 war. Uh, It then uh, de facto annexed it in 1981, which the international community, including the United States, um, had not recognized um, until now. So again, practical terms, nobody was actually putting pressure on this at this point uh, to have Israel give the territory back to Syria at any time. I think the international community, um, even those who had not, who did not recognize uh, Israel's sovereignty, recognized that the instability in Syria is such that Israel could not be expected, given its security concerns, to hand over control back to Syria anytime soon. But I think what we have to look at here is the implications for some of actually the United States and our own administration's immediate term and longer term interests. Um, We have to remember that our administration is saying that they plan to put a peace plan down uh, soon. And we saw the um, Arab League just a couple of days ago um, unanimously unanimously condemn uh, the United States statement over Israel having sovereignty on the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights, by successive recent U.S. administrations uh, and Israeli leaderships, had really been seen as something that could be negotiated um, in the furtherance of uh, eventual peace between Israel and Syria and greater regional peace. And so with the Arab states now coming out and condemning formally this move at a time when uh, we're really going to need Arab support and buy-in for whatever peace plan is put down, this might only have complicated that. Speaking of peace plans, I wonder, we mentioned the 40th anniversary of the Israeli-Egypt Accords. Obviously, the world has changed much in 40 years. Is there anything that one could take from what happened 40 years ago and use it and apply it to make a peace agreement happen today? Well, yeah, so this 40th anniversary of the signing of that treaty is perhaps a 
um, a rare glimpse, glint of uh, optimism at this time when you look at this region. Because what you see after 40 years is a really um, is a is a peace agreement that has really been sustainable. And the while it has remained a cold peace at the level of the publics, in many ways the the government to government relationship has really only been strengthening over the past few years. And we're actually seeing this in the way Egypt has been able to play a trusted role as mediator with what is going on between Israel uh, and Gaza. That's some of the the fruits of what you see coming out of that agreement. Uh, I think one of the the lessons and other things that we can take from it is that on the eve of that agreement, that was really seen uh, as an impossible reality, the idea that Egypt and Israel uh, would be able to come to a peace agreement. So, um, you know, things can change. Um, I think the one of the big factors uh, with the Egypt-Israel agreement was the leadership. You had bold, courageous leadership um, that was uh, willing to make uh, unprecedented moves towards securing uh, their own side's interests and coming to an agreement that really secured the mutual interests uh, of both sides. That's, of course, eventually what's going to need to happen uh, to come to an agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, there are a lot of different factors at play there in that conflict than were present in the conflict between uh, Egypt and Israel. But one of the things that it's good to remember is that while we celebrate the success of Camp David, uh, that really was, uh, that, that was a summit. The Camp David summit that resulted in the agreement started with uh, two, two framing letters, one that was to pursue peace between Egypt and Israel, and the other that set out a goal of resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict issue leading to a broader regional peace. Uh, that latter part obviously is uh, yet to be realized. To your point, uh, you know, reading and of course, Jimmy Carter's accounts of this uh, whole event when President Jimmy Carter and Anwar Sadat, who was in, uh, president of Egypt and, and Menachem Begin, who was the prim- prime minister at the time of Israel, they, they, in, in a way, they kind of locked themselves in a room. It was Camp David, so it wasn't literally that. But there were moments when right. they actually had this kind of real soul searching among the three of them. There were conversations about faith and so on. This was an intensive moment. And as you say, the leadership was key in this. And, and, you know, the question is whether or not you can let lightning will strike in that bottle again. Uh, That is the question. Uh, But again, what, what I cling to sometimes with this is that it's easy to look back now and think of something that's held this long as inevitable and remember that those were some tough days locked in those those rooms or that room at Camp David. Um, There were periods of time when uh, Begin and Sadat just weren't talking to each other and President Carter was having to go back and forth between the two of them. So uh, nothing is impossible. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, And of course, the elections are up next week. April the 9th is when Israel will, Israelis will vote for, uh, well, we'll, eventually we'll see who's the prime minister. We're assuming at this point that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is is going to win re-election, but he has a rather fractious coalition, it looks like, at this point to, to get him to that place. Uh, that's correct. It does seem, you know, his chief contender, which is the Blue-White Party under former um, uh, uh, Israeli Armed, uh, Armed Forces Chief of Staff Benny Gantz, um, has been... Uh, has been giving uh, Netanyahu a run uh, in, in the polls, but it does seem that the most likely scenario at this point uh, is that Netanyahu is more primed to be able to form um, a coalition given the, the contours of how um, how Israeli government works. Uh, but again, there can always be surprises in these cases. The, the interesting thing about this election uh, to note is that it's not really major policy policy issues that are at dispute. You almost feel watching this play out 
um, in the Israeli public sphere that this is really a mandate on whether Israelis want to see yet another term of Netanyahu, who's now been uh, in, in power as prime minister there for over a decade. Because really on, on the, the, the key issues one thinks about is driving uh, the Israeli public, issues of security, um, and even on many domestic issues, um, there isn't a whole lot of distinguishing uh, daylight between the, the, the main contending parties at this point. Of course, that, that um, shifts a little bit when you think about what other parties would need to be brought in to make up a coalition. All right. We will be watching it closely. I do really appreciate your perspective this morning. Lucy, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Lucy Kurtzer, Ellen Bogan knows her stuff. She is the director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the USIP, the upcoming elections, the U.S. recognition of the Golan Heights, and, of course, the uh, the conflict in Gaza. But uh, the 40th anniversary of the Israeli-Egypt peace talks, a phenomenal moment. And if you've never read up on it, just just read about that, that Camp David weekend, if nothing else. Uh, by the way, Lucy is tweeting at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.